Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending 20th of October 2023. The UK is the second highest producer in the world of electrical waste per person. Our relationship with the products we own needs fixing. This is the opening statement of a press release that's just gone out to tell us about a new repair and reuse declaration, which is being launched on International Repair Day, the 21st of October. Now, the declaration has been authored by the Restart Project in association with the Repair Cafe Network and over 100 other groups, and it calls for government to make repair more affordable and to expand the UK's right to repair regulations to cover all consumer products. And our post this week is on this very subject. A week or two back, we took a trip into our local repair cafe in Portsmouth to see the good things it's doing and to talk to its repairer-in-chief, Claire Seek, who is also part of the team responsible for the new repair and reuse declaration. So, let's start with a clip of our conversation with Claire, accompanied by background noises from the children's play area just opposite the cafe, talking about coffee makers and other repairable things. A lot of people acquired coffee makers during COVID and they were really cheap. I think the challenge as well is that in the UK, lots of people wouldn't think to repair it. They would just bin it. So there'll be loads of recycling, well, hopefully recycling of it even, but there'll just be a lot of binning. And the depressing fact is that the UK is the biggest producer bar Norway currently of e-waste per capita in the world. And we're on track to be the biggest by next year, apparently. And there's a misconception as well, I think, about if you repair something, well, if I replace that bit, I might as well have just bought a new thing. Mm. Obviously, there's an issue on price, but equally, I mean, we had someone the other day, well, I could replace this battery or this handheld vacuum cleaner, but I'd rather just buy a new one, because what if the other elements go? And you're like, actually, the battery is the thing that's going to keep going. You know, the rest is going to be fine. Michael, we're talking about things here that lots of people just think of as throwaways, aren't we? We are. It's the things like your lamp, along with vacuum cleaners, in terms of what people need repaired on a regular basis. You can do it yourself, but the repair cafes certainly help in that process. And there are directories you can go to, like the Restart Projects directory, lists over 300 reliable repair shops that fix lamps and fix other items. But certainly there is an appetite and interest in getting things repaired. It's always been easy to get your mobile phone repaired and your computer repaired and we just need to add to that and things like lamps and vacuums there are just not that many people that are repairing these things no they aren't and also it's the aspect of getting access to spare parts briefly with vacuum cleaners and if the spare part is available they're actually quite expensive So it's almost pricing you into actually buying a new item sometimes. And I think the design of certain well-known vacuum cleaners, they're almost designed to break in some cases because they've actually put installed very flimsy fitments and rather strangely designed items. Well, I've got a Henry, which is about 15 years old, and it's still going strong. It's a wonderful thing. Anyway, let's hear a little more from Claire Seek at Repair Cafe Portsmouth. And here she's telling us about how the Repair Cafe network operates. Our aspiration is that repair becomes part of our culture in our city. But we recognise that there are lots of people at different stages of the journey 
across the nation and people looking for ideas so part of when you sign up to kind of become a repair cafe you also say i'm going to help others set up so like when we first set up southampton was already running we went and visited them and went great like let's copy that we'll do that differently but over the last five years i've helped people set up more around hampshire and hampshire county council now have taken on a group that i initially formed which is to kind of support the people that are running repair cafes so there's now a hampshire repair cafe network which is supported by hampshire county council and i've been involved in setting up a community repair network for the uk as well because what we've also recognised is we need to shift policy at a UK level. We need to learn from each other, share skills. So that's sort of a network of the networks. You've got a Repair Cafe Wales. Their government is a little bit more forward thinking when it comes mm. to the circular economy. And the same with Scotland. The challenge with being in England is there is no devolution to England. And so we sort of work at a UK level and... There's nothing at the minute that's particularly focused on this. Michael, Westminster and Whitehall have been pretty useless at this so far, haven't they? I think you're being a little bit too negative there, Fraser. I think if you go into the devolved assemblies and devolved nations, there has been a lot of activity. And remembering this activity on the whole repair and recycling part of the circular economy has been pushed by the European Union since 2013. So if we then trace that through into the Welsh Assembly, they had particular activities going on in 2020. And if we go up to Scotland, it was 2016. They have both got what I would call circular economy legislation working its way through their parliaments. And in London, we also have a commitment under the Resources and Waste Strategy, which is part of the 25-year environmental plan of the current UK government. Not as adventurous as you might want it to be, but there is activity and it's starting to feed through. If you think where some of this started was the plastic bag tax was an aspect of this. This is trying to expand that into a far greater range of items. Okay, I take that back. They're not useless, perhaps just a little tardy. One more clip from Claire, and this time she's giving us more info about the new Repair and Reuse Declaration, which, as we said, is being launched on 21st of October, which, if you're listening to this podcast on the day we released it, is tomorrow. The Community Repair Network is launching a new Write and Reuse Declaration. Back in 2018, we had something called the Manchester Declaration that calling on policy makers and manufacturers to make things more repairable. And it was a very sort of high level. What we've really realised since then, we need to have reuse targets because lots of our manufacturers have a requirement to recycle things. And so their money gets put into that bit. But that can mean very little other than it's recycled and there's some bits extracted from it. But what we really need to shift this is that Things need to be reusable and need to keep going around, you know, this circular economy model. All their funding as a local authority is just about increasing recycle rates, whereas they'd love to support more repair initiatives. There's no funding for that. But this new declaration will also be suggesting some policy things in there as well. So things like, you know, why do we have VAT on repair? Unless you have a super yacht. Apparently there's no VAT on fixing your super yacht. Hmm, that doesn't seem very fair. And our usual reminder that you can find this week's post on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including those wonderful suppliers of repairable items, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Too much throwaway stuff from them? Surely not. Now, the conflict in Israel and Gaza is understandably dominating the media headlines right now. And while Michael and I remain staunchly apolitical in our green edge lives, 
we do grieve at the human tragedies being played out there and elsewhere in the world. Many other things are being forgotten or at least unreported in the process. And one of those forgotten things is that we have by now gone well past the date that the Environmental Audit Committee requested for the delivery of a government response to its letter following Rishi Sunak's net zero announcement back in September. Michael, what have we seen so far? Well, we've seen two things, really. One has been a very detailed 10-page statement from the Climate Change Committee that was irritated in the extreme, though did give recognition to some of the things that remained in place around the clean heat market mechanism, around the net zero mandate for motor cars. But it did say we're still falling short in terms of policy. We just do not have enough policies with teeth in place to make things happen. But the second document that came out on the 18th of October was from the National Infrastructure Commission. They equally were critical of the government, but they made some very insightful views around heat pumps. They have a very detailed 30-page technical appendix, which basically says heat pumps are electrically driven. They will not be displaced or replaced by hydrogen being blended into existing gas boilers. They do a very detailed costing on that. But they also then delve into the increase of the grant you can get to replace your gas boiler with a heat pump from five to seven and a half thousand pounds. The budget still remains 150 million pounds, and that means less heat pumps will be replaced. They just highlight that. They then go on and make a very important statement around boosting heat pumps into social and affordable properties. And there they're saying there should be a fund of around 3.2 billion, and they should be installed at the cost of the state. Now, if you were to put an order into a heat pump manufacturer of 3.2 billion, I think the cost of a heat pump would come down quite dramatically. So there'd be a huge gain. It would also reduce the energy costs, and the energy poverty across so many people. And that would affect probably 4 million dwellings in this country. So I think those two documents together, if they were intended to receive the readership and the understanding, I wonder. But I think people like us and those people in the industry have certainly been picking up on those two documents. Okay, well, that's business out of the way. I think we must take a minute or two to talk about rugby. Surprises at the weekend? A few. Argentina, was that a surprise? They are a very good side. Was it a surprise that the Irish didn't deliver? They are consistently. They quite like getting to the quarterfinals. England were pushed. But we're still going to see, I think, a Southern Hemisphere final. I think the All Blacks will be taking on the Springboks. It's a very evenly matched game. It certainly won't be a rerun of their World Cup warm-up match at Twickenham. It will not be a walkover for the Springboks this time round. Absolutely. The South Africa-France game was a real nail-biter. I was actually sitting in a, a pub in Oban in Scotland watching that. And at the end of the match, we were just quiet. It was such a nail-biter. A great game. It also showed the value of charging down conversions. Doesn't it just? All right, Michael, thank you very much. And happy repair day. Sorry, happy International Repair Day. I'll try to do some international repairing then. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.